We are live from TechNet Cyber 2023. I'm Kate Macri, Deputy Editor of CIO Media and Research. And joining me this morning is John Sherman, CIO at DoD. Thank you, John, for joining me this morning. I want to dive right in and get some hot takes from you on some of the biggest IT topics going on right now in defense. Zero Trust is a big initiative for your office right now. Can you give us an update on how Zero Trust implementation is going following the completion of the DISA Thunderdome pilot? Well, Kate, it's great to be here with you, and I'm honored to be on the interview with you. Zero Trust is among the highest priorities I have in my organization right now. Just for your listeners, many of whom may be aware of this, Zero Trust is predicated on the principle that an adversary might already be on your network. And so... And it's also about micro-segmentation, we call it, and fine-grained access, preventing that adversary from moving laterally across your network and really focusing on the data, not the systems, not the IT, but your most important information and data and keeping an adversary away from that. So what we've talked about is implementation of targeted zero trust. That means 91 capabilities we've identified by 2027. Now, some have argued, well, that's a few years in the future, or can't you go quicker? We have one of the largest enterprises in the world, 4 million-plus people, one of the largest IT enterprises, and getting this implemented with these 91 capabilities is how we're getting after this. We stood up a portfolio management office to oversee this working with the military services and other DOD components. And then where the way we're doing this is, Although we've identified these 91 capabilities, which align to these seven NIST pillars, National Institutes of Standard Technology pillars, things like user, device, data, et cetera, we've also laid out in our strategy kind of a pick-your-own-adventure. Folks may remember those books when we were a little like, do you slay the dragon or do you go into the cave? Well, we're doing this with our military services and others where there's three big courses of action they can choose. One is a brownfield approach where they lay over the 91 capabilities on their existing enterprise. Secondly, they leverage the joint warfighting cloud capability, commercial clouds that we have there through Oracle, Microsoft, Amazon, or Google. And then COA3, which is a private cloud option or some combination therein. So where we're at in the movie here, we released a strategy back in October. We're now working with the components on having status updates. And here by early summer, we should really have a very solid roadmap of from the services and others of their pick-your-own-adventure, how they're going to get after this by 2027. You asked about Project Thunderdome, which is DISA's instantiation of zero trust. It's a set of capabilities that can be leveraged by military services and others for, like, software-defined wide-area networks, SD-WAN, other types of security at the endpoint, and so on. And so... Thunderdome is a piece of zero trust, but it's a component of it as we look at different options to get it implemented across the department. Gotcha. So I'm curious, after we know the incident that happened a month ago, classified documents were leaked by a member of the Air Force National Guard and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin asked for new guidance regarding classified and sensitive information protection and a 45-day review of current practices all of that. As you're working on this, do you find this to be more of a cultural problem or a technical one? And I know you talked about this a little bit in the keynote, but how do you see zero trust playing a role in limiting these kinds of leaks in the future? So building on what I said on the keynote here, zero trust would certainly have helped on this. I don't think it's foolproof though, but to properly implement As you look at those seven pillars of zero trust, you have at pillar number seven, visibility and analytics 
other pillars, automation and orchestration, the user piece of this. I can go down the list, but bringing all this together to prevent somebody, whether it's external or internal, from moving laterally across the network, getting to data, not the system, but the data they're not supposed to have access to. That's what zero trust is really about. So yes is the answer on zero trust, being able to help mitigate and prevent this sort of thing. There are cultural pieces of this too, which is why on the 45-day review you noted that Secretary Austin launched this on in terms of Working with intelligence and security, INS, under Honorable Moultrie on, and his team, Honorable uh, Melancy Harris, his deputy, as we work across with security and the CIO authorities and counterintelligence, one thing we've learned from our NSA colleagues, for example, post-Snowden, with the Snowden leaks back about 10 years ago, there can't be any daylight between the physical security, personnel security, IT security, et cetera. And that's one lesson learned we're going to take away of this. What can we do better? One thing I did mention today, too, was user activity monitoring, which gets at several pillars of zero trust. It's not just the software, but it's the humans monitoring it. And that's where the, intel the counterintelligence comes together with the CIO pieces. Finally, referencing specifically the 45-day review and some other actions, I did sign out a memo last week as we're looking at adherence from the services and others uh, to existing DOD policies and guidance. Now, that's a starting point as we look at user activity monitoring and other types of security. But I'm working closely with the intelligence community chief information officer, my friend and colleague, Dr. Adele Merritt, because that's my old job over there, the cross-cutting authorities of how we look at things like Intel Link, how we look at areas like user activity monitoring on JWIX, the top secret network that DIA administers. That's where we have to make sure there's no daylight between us. We're actually meeting this Friday to talk about this. It's a great partnership. Yeah. Do you see incidents like these and zero trust implementation generally and this uh, whole of government kind of push for zero trust as creating more opportunities for a more holistic, like government-wide approach to cyber, especially from like the national security perspective? I think it certainly does. The president's executive order on zero trust really was our North Star, is our North Star on this. And what we've done in the Department of Defense with our zero trust strategy, I think, is a great exemplar. I'm not saying we've solved every bit of it. But, for example, working with the federal CIO, working with the intelligence community CIO, as they take what we've done at the department and tailor it for their own enterprises, I think there's definite momentum that I don't think we've had before, Kate, on getting after this. It has been, again, as I said before, unobtainium, this vision, this destiny. Now we've broken it down with actual capabilities, which is in our strategy, that we can actually put milestones and markers against. So I think there's real momentum to get after this. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about your vision for JWCC and how you see the role of software factories and organizations like the Army's Enterprise Cloud Management Agency, C-Army, etc., playing into JWCC and how you see those integrating, especially when we're talking about this from like a cybersecurity perspective. Absolutely. So you mentioned uh, my colleagues at Army, at ECMA there. They've got a lot of momentum already, particularly on the unclassified side. What I don't want to do is get in their way on this. Now, some of this sprung up because of the lack of enterprise cloud during the JEDI to JWCC transition era. It is what it is. It took us some time to re-vector uh, 
to get to JWCC. So the last thing I'm going to do is stop what the services are doing. But what I do want to do, and I am going to do, is what we have with the secret and top secret capabilities with JWCC, really making that the fulcrum for department's use on that for the classified piece, which is so important for joint all domain command and control and those pieces. So making a balance, building off what they've learned and done, and I'm highly complimentary of what my service colleagues have done, but also we've got this incredible now enterprise capability in JWCC from the four cloud vendors I've talked about and being able to bring that together there. So that's how I see that working together. And also, JWCC, as I've noticed, is not just an infrastructure as a service. It can be at the platform and SaaS software as a service layer as well. So I want to do this in a way we're not competing with each other. I talk to the cloud service CEOs to make sure we're not uh, our price points are consistent and so on, but in a way that doesn't slow momentum down but leverages this capability, and particularly one of the things I want to highlight is this, as I noted, secret and top secret, but out to the tactical edge. So think about that, having secret and top secret compute capability, potentially in the Western Pacific or Eastern Europe or Sub-Saharan Africa. We're still working on the development of the capabilities of that, but that's exciting to me. And that gets into the software dev and everything else as well. Sure. As a quick follow-up to that, what, what do you see as the primary challenges that you need to tackle in this space to make all of this happen? I think a lot of it is managing a multi-cloud environment. When I was the ICCIO and we made the jump to commercial cloud enterprise C2E, which is kind of their JWCC, it's a bit different. But how do you manage this? How do we, as we work the task orders through, we have to compete them. We have to make this agile. I know there was a little bit of blowback on how many days it takes to get this into the process. But having four super-duper world-class vendors here, kind of best athlete, where they're going to compete against this, there's going to be a little bit down price pressure. We've got to figure out how we do this right. And working with the DISA hack organization, the hosting and compute center, that's what we're figuring out. And I'll tell you, our IC buddies are learning the same route on this. It's a little bit different than being out in the private sector. We are going to adhere strictly to government, government uh, procurement, uh, fairness, and everything else. But that's some of the big thing we're learning. And then the final thing, too, is how do we best leverage it? How do we, for software, I talked about Rob Vietmeyer, Chief Software Officer. How do we make sure, you had asked earlier, and I don't think I answered it sufficiently on the, uh, the software factories. How do we make sure JWCC is available to them? They can get to it. They can spin up what they need to to do their software dev. And that's where we're working closely with our software community to learn how we do that. Awesome. So... The other thing that you've been really focused on lately is the cyber workforce piece. And you've been doing a lot to update cyber workforce management policies and programs. And as we're all very well aware, this is a very competitive industry and everyone needs high quality talent. What do you think workers should know as these new policies and initiatives go into effect? So for new employees, areas like what opportunities we have on cyber accepted service, targeted local management supplement, other initiatives we can bring to incentivize them to come into the workforce. And I think from my C2C, and not think, I know from my C2CIO, if I could talk directly to future employees, is we want to have agility and flexibility. We recognize that the women and men we're bringing into our workforce, again, may not want to stay decades. They may want to come in, go back out to industry and come back. And how we need to figure out how to best do that in terms of uh, these very high competitive skill sets on this. But also, I want to emphasize, too, a workforce that looks like America. We talked about this with General Lawrence up on the stage here. 
degrees are important, but I want experience too. I want folks who've had apprenticeships, maybe enlisted military service that can get the job done. Um, diversity is our strength to be able to bring all our different points of view and talent as we compete against People's Republic of China, Russia, and elsewhere. And that's what I, I need folks to lean in on this. Individuals who may not have thought about working for the U.S. Department of Defense come over and they may be amazed at what we're doing with AI and ML, with cloud, with cybersecurity. That's what I would say to them. Yeah. So last question for you before we wrap up here. Can you tell me about how initiatives such as Zero Trust and JWCC will support JADC2? Like, how do you see that affecting JADC2 in, like, a tangible way? So I think these are all integral capabilities. I see myself as a service provider to the JADC2 effort to be able to have the, for example, on JADC2, the edge compute capabilities I talked about, to be able to work on making sure that is a secure set of capabilities using zero trust against a very capable potential adversary who may try to get on our networks and try to move laterally. Another area I would add, too, is what we're working with transport, whether it's terrestrial transport, space-based transport, being able to get that data, as I've noted, anywhere, anytime for any commander that has the need to have it there. That's how this fits together. Basically, everything we're doing in CIO, most everything we're doing, fits directly to enabling JADC2 for our combatant commanders and our allies to be able to stay in that turn circle I talk about ahead of a, a very sophisticated state adversary. Awesome. Well, we're out of time. I don't want to keep you any longer, but thank you so much, Mr. Sherman, for talking to me today about all of these issues, and I hope you have a great time at the rest of the conference. Well, thank you for having me, and uh, I, I do read your, your articles a lot, okay. and uh, <laughs> I really appreciate it. You have thank a great you. morning now. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Cybercast, along with GovCast and HealthCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com.